Our reading will be coming from Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. Happy right, stand. Oh, everybody stand for the word. <laughs> and it reads, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the, to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, because she was broken out of man. Verse number 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let us rejoice in the Lord's word. Amen. Very good. Let's pray. Before you're seated, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. Uh, Lord, we, uh, first of all, we honor you. Um, God, you know, uh, you're the one that started marriage. You're the one, Father God, that created this holy institution. Uh, God, I pray this morning that as we go into your word, that you will speak to us, heal our marriages where they need to be healed, strengthen us where we need to be strengthened, and Lord God, we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know that before we get started in this series, um, first of all, um, I just want to say to the young people, um, before you decide that you might want to check out in this message, remember that you're still human <laughs> and that one day uh, you may very well want to get married someday. Uh, and so the information that we're going to share is going to be a great help to you. In fact, it'll probably help protect you from some of the mistakes that some of us have made as relates to marriage. Um, but I get really, really excited uh, about a series like this because um, I like to help people. And one of the things that Peggy and I have seen since we really started this ministry is that marriages have just been under severe attack from the enemy. And it's not so much that, you know, divorce have always been an issue, but it's becoming increasingly more like the norm to get a divorce. And the sad part about it is that just as divorce is on the rise in the world, when I say world, meaning those that are not believers, divorce is also on the rise within the Christian church. And that believers now are getting divorced, and our numbers are no, not much more different than the world. Now, the problem with that is the Bible says that we are the light of the world that we are supposed to be the one to show people. People should be able to look at us and say, you know what, my marriage is struggling, but I sure do like those church folks over there because the church people seem to know how to have good marriages. I want to kind of peer into that and see what the secret is. Because I believe if God can heal me, if God can give me a nice car, if God can give me a nice house, then God ought to be able to heal my marriage. Now, let me say this from the onset. Some of you may have experienced divorce. This message is nothing about what has happened in your past. Because you're hear some things today, and you're going to be thinking, mm, now I know what I did wrong. That's okay. That was something in the past. We're not here to talk about what you did in the past. This message is, these series of messages is really going to be designed to help you in your current situation uh, in your marriage. And for those of you who are planning on getting married, we're going to give you some information today that when you do get married, we're going to set you up for success. Because God wants your marriage to be healthy. God wants us to not only be together because he said be together, but God wants us to be happy and together because there's so many people that are in marriages today and they're not really happy they're just in it because you know what I'm just supposed to be here I know this is what God want and 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 if I did this financially it may be hard for me but if I really you know if I really could just kind of skip out of this I would leave I mean no that's a bad way to be 
That is not God's design for our marriages. And one of the things that we got to understand about marriage is that great marriages don't just happen. They are built in the trenches. You have to work at it, just like you work at anything else in life. Um, Let me give you a brief synopsis of Peg and I. Peg and I now have been married come July the 28th. I got that right, hallelujah, because I know some of y'all would have snitched on me. Um, We've been married 20 hard years. Now, we had met each other back in 1987 in college. Uh, So she was, I guess you'd call my college sweetheart. Um, And uh, right around 1991, we both decided uh, to give our life to Jesus. Because before then, we met in 1987, we weren't following Christ. We didn't, I mean, my wife, I mean, I grew up in church and I was on the run. I mean, I was running away from anything that had to do with Christianity. I didn't want, I mean, I wanted Christ, but I wanted Christ on my own terms. I want to get to you, Lord. I'll get serious. I'll serve you. But right now I got just a few things I need to just take care of. I wanted to do my thing. The Lord had complete, total different plans for me. So me and Peggy. Uh, we met, we dated in the 1987 down to 1990. We was on and off like a typical boyfriend, girlfriend thing. And then we both gave our life to Christ. And we realized that by giving our life to Jesus now, and this was just kind of hammered into us, that now that we're Christian, there are certain things that we ought not to do. So we separated ourselves. We got saved. We had an old guy sit there, old preacher sit there and tell us, you know, now that you're a believer, here's what you're supposed to do and here's what you're not supposed to do. And we knew exactly what that meant. So we separated for a period of time and then we ended up getting married. Now, we got married. Our relationship started on the foundation of Christ. God moved us here to northern Virginia. We knew nobody. We came from Hampton Roads area, Chesapeake. Uh, Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. We didn't know anybody up here. All we knew was we were brand new believers. I had a new job on a local police department in Northern Virginia. And, and I just, and I, we had a passion for God. So we just, we just studied and we tried to figure out how to live this thing the way God wanted us to live it. I can tell you without, I can tell you without any hesitation. Now, my wife and our, our marriage is not problem free. How many know there's no such thing of a problem-free marriage? So if you think you're going to get one of those sermons, forget it. I'm going to spare you right now. Don't happen. Uh, Not in this life. But I can honestly tell you that I really enjoy my wife. That she is not only my wife, but she is my best friend. There is nothing that I don't share with her. We know everything about each other. You know, do we have our problems? Oh, we sure do. But here's where I can tell you have been the key to our success. It is that we have always looked went back to the book. And this has been the foundation for our marriage right here. Because I can tell you that if we did not apply the principles in this book, we wouldn't be married today. In fact, I sit back and I marvel. I don't know how anybody stayed married for any length of time without the Bible. I just don't know how people do it. But, but we have made this book the cornerstone of our relationship. And because we have done that, you know, we really do love and enjoy each other. And we enjoy our relationship. And just like anything else, you got to put the time in there. You have to tune it up. I'll give you this analogy. I like Jaguars. I, don't, I didn't say I own one. I said I like them. Uh, so if y'all ever want to really bless your pastor, you know, they're just... Throw something out there for you. Maybe somebody grab it. But, but you know, as nice as Jaguars are, um, if you just got that Jaguar out of that parking lot and you drove it and you never got an oil change, a tune-up, you didn't change the tires, how long do you think that car will last? Not long. Because you're not doing any kind of... They tell you when you get the manual. They tell you in order to get the maximum uh, advantage... The use out of this car, you got to follow these principles. That if you change the oil when you're supposed to, the transmission fluid, the tires, you get a tune-up, then you will extend the life of that vehicle. Marriage is the same way. Many, you know, I, I can't, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how many people have been married for 5, 10, 15 years, and they have never got a tune-up in their marriage. They are still living on the honeymoon and when they got married. 
Oh, we had a great marriage. We went on a honeymoon. And that's about it. But when was the last time, ask yourself, when was the last time you went to a marriage conference? When was the last time you actually sit down and, 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 and did some maintenance or some upkeep on your relationship? When's the last time that you just sit down and got some good teaching on how to resolve conflict? Because you deal with conflict every day in marriage. You deal with stuff. You got two different people, and the Bible declares and says that you got to be one. How do you get there? Because it's one thing to tell me what I need to do. Don't just tell me, Pastor, what I need to do. Can you please help me how to get there? And so, so many people, and, and it saddens me, who, who they're here about a marriage conference, they think I don't need that. But yet for other things, we make sure that we, you know, we, we brush up or we want to do better in our finances. We'll go to a financial seminar. We'll go to these different things. But when it comes to our marriage, we just kind of figure out where well, we just kind of figure it out as it goes. I'm going to, I pray to my prayer today is that is that you develop a system whereby at least once a year that you do something with your spouse. Now, what do I mean by do something? You say, well, you say, Pastor Gary, we go on vacation. Every-. I'm not talking about a vacation. How many of you have went on vacation with your spouse and it was miserable and want to talk about it? I'm talking about a time when you sit down with your spouse and you get fed and you get, you get some information that will help you to have a better marriage. Because this is where you live. And I tell my wife all the time, we ain't going nowhere. So since we got to be together for eternity, we may as well figure out to have a good time doing it. Because I am not going to live here and be miserable with you. So my option is I'm not going to walk out. I'm not going to do a divorce. You know, that's not us. We don't use that terminology. Some people throw that out there. One of the cardinal rules that we have, we don't, we don't mention divorce in our home. We don't care about the patterns that went before us. We can look back through our family history, and some people got a history. I was listening the other day to some lady. She's been married. I forget who it was. She married five or six times. Now, I'm just saying, at some point, the light bulb got to come on. Something ain't working. So if, if God says that what he joined together, let no man put asunder, if God created marriage, then how many know that he knows how we're supposed to work? Right? God knows how the marriage relationship is supposed to work. It was an institution not created by man. Now, I know man is trying to steal it today, right? Because the people of the world, I mean, they're telling you they want to redefine marriage. They want to do everything they can to say, no, this is what marriage is. But, you know, marriage was created by God. You remember? Adam was asleep. God took his rib. Yeah, we, we say that sometimes. This is my rib. That's where, that's where that comes from. Out of Adam, God, God put, made him go to sleep, took out of him his rib, and formed his wife. Adam woke up, and here she goes walking to him. And Adam, I'm sure that she was a perfect woman. And I'm sure Adam was like, whoa, look at this. And so it's the picture of the same thing that we, we have marriages today that you see the bride walks down the aisle. It's the same thing. God created marriage, and we can't listen to the world tell us how our marriages are supposed to be and how they're supposed to function. God is the author of our marriages. Now, if you will, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter number seven, and we're going to jump right into this. But before I give you the four laws of a a good marriage, I want to first kind of read to you Matthew chapter number seven, um, verses uh, 24 through 27. Matthew chapter number 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, starting in verse number 24, whoever hears these saying of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these saying of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. But the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, 
How many know that in any marriage relationship, the wins are going to, the wins are going to come? The win comes in the form of financial problems, uh, conflicts, uh, health problems, uh, challenges from your job, challenges and stress of life. Wins are going to come at your marriage. What is the difference between a marriage that survives and one that doesn't? The one that is built on the rock, meaning Christ, is the one that's going to survive. Not the one that's built on the sand. Now, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. Have any of you ever been to the beach and you've actually laid down in, in the sand and you get up? What, what happened? What do you see in the sand? If you go to the beach and you lay down in the sand and you get up, what do you see? The sand usually conforms to you, doesn't it? And you see your imprint. But boy, if you try to go lay on a rock, what happens? The rock will leave an imprint on you. It's easy to build your thing on the sand. In other words, build a marriage the way I want to build it. But see, right now, we got to get out of our minds anything about everything that we've been taught in the world about what marriage is supposed to be. And God wants us to conform to the rock, to conform to his way of how to produce a great marriage. Now I'm about to get into the nuts and bolts. Now, let's talk about, now these are four foundational truths, laws that every marriage, and I believe a lot of marriages fail today because they don't know what these laws are. You know, uh, people get married and they have no clue and they just wing it and they just hope that they get it right. These are laws. Now, how many know that the, the laws are set? They're like, it's like gravity. Okay, it's like physics. These are laws that apply to every marriage. You violate these laws and you jeopardize your marriage. You violate these laws. And so we're going to talk about four laws. The first law is the law of priority. The law of priority. If you go back to Genesis chapter number 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave. Look at the name and say leave. <laughs> leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Now I'm about to step on some toes. So I'm going to give you a warning because I know some of you already going to start just kind of, you know, you know, you just might get bothered about some things, but it's in a good way. But the Bible says a man, a man should leave his father and mother and they should be joined to his wife. Leave. Because before you got married, the most important relationship in your life was your mother, your father. But once you get married, once you say, I do. At that moment, the most important human relationship on the planet to you is your marriage. It's called the law of priority. It is your marriage. I, I was listening <clears throat> to a story a guy was talking about the other day. He said, this girl had just gotten married. She just got married, and, uh, and she had a problem with her husband. So the first thing she do, she jumps on the phone. She called mom. And she says to mom, mom, I want to come home. And, and she said, but dear, 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 hold up, sweetheart. Let me go get your father. So, so you know, she go get dad. She said, honey, uh, you know, our daughter, she wants to come home. And dad gets on the phone. And what dad says, honey, you are home. This is it. You got to work it out. Because there's nothing more important than your marriage. Listen to me. Now, I want you to hear this. Not the kids. Not the church, because the first thing that God created, God created first Adam and Eve, the marriage, and the church came later. God first created the marriage, and the kids came later. Now, what happened is sometimes people want to put the kids and everything else before the marriage. It's going to be a disaster. Let me tell you why. Because your marriage is the foundation by which everything else is supposed to stand. In that relationship, the best thing that you and I can do for our children is to have a great marriage. And so many people, they put everything, they put jobs, they put money, they put everything else. Let me tell you something. Me and my wife first started this church. I'll give you an example. Uh, if my wife would have said to me, now I'm a passionate person, if you, if you haven't figured that out yet. I'm a passionate person. Now, 
if my wife would have, and, and I knew from almost right around when I first got married that I was going to be called into ministry. Now, if my wife would have said to me, honey, um, you know what? I don't want you to start that church. I don't, I don't want to do it. You know what I would have had to say? You know what? If that's what you don't want, then I, I can't do it. You know why? Because she comes before anything else. That marriage comes first. And my job is to make sure, because that's what covenant is. Covenant means you make a covenant before God for better or for worse, for richer or poorer. You're saying, God, this marriage is, uh, because marriage is a portrait of our relationship as Christians to Jesus Christ. That's how marriage is. It's a portrait. How many know that the church is called the bride of Christ? We're the bride of Christ, and so our marriages are supposed to reflect the glory of God. And so anytime you put anything before your marriage, understand something, you are out of order. It's, that's the way it works with God. You ever notice that with God, when God has certain laws and order, that if you go outside of what God prescribes, you're going to have problems. You see? Now, think about what I just said. Is there any surprise about Hollywood and, and we have so much divorces today? Because people put their careers above their marriage. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, 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 uh, you, you knew this before you married me that, that, that I was going to be doing this. Um, you should have known that, that, that this is what God called me to do. Because we love to use God. I mean, God, boy, God gets thrown in a lot of stuff. You know, God, this is what God women do. And so you're just going to have to roll with it. Marriage. And we'll talk about this here in a second. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. And when, when I prioritize my marriage, what I'm saying is that I don't do anything unless my partner is in agreement with what I do or I just won't do it. And for some of you thinking right now, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. You, you, you know, I, I, I really want to, you got to understand, this is what God called me, yeah. But, but, but you're, in, you're married now. See, this is why young people hear me. That's why you don't want to jump into it too quick. Because the two becomes one. And when the two becomes one, everything changes now. You can't just do your own thing. Let me tell you something. Marriage is brutal on people with an independent spirit. Brutal. If you got an independent spirit, marriage will kill you. Because it's not for that. It's not for people that are independent and that want to do their own thing. It doesn't work. And when you go outside of God's way of doing things, it's going to be a problem. Now, listen to this. Good things out of priority. Listen to this. You can even jot this down if you like. But good things out of priority are the greatest enemy of right priority in marriage. Let me say that again. Good things, because a lot of things you want to do are good things. And in the name of good things, then this means I can just go ahead and do it. But if it's out of priority, then that thing that is meant to be good will turn on you and become a problem in your marriage. So he says, good things. Can somebody do me a favor and uh, turn the heat down? I, I, feel like, I feel like it's a little warm in here, and I feel like, I want you all to stay connected. Y'all still with me? Yeah. All right, good, good. This, every now and then, just say amen, good pastor, uh, something like that. Let me know that you, you're at least listening. Because um, you talk to me, I, I keep talking. Well, maybe that's the problem. Okay, so watch this. Good things out of priority are the greatest enemy of right priority in marriage. Devastating are the results when either spouse when either spouse places others above wife or husband. Anything. And you're going to get, you're going to get results. I mean, and some people say, and here, here's a big one for church people. Well, I'm serving the Lord. Well, the Lord first created the marriage. And let me tell you something. And the church don't come before your marriage. If somebody come here, they want to serve in ministry, but they say, man, my spouse, we ain't getting along. Go home. Why are you over here? <laughs> because good churches are built on strong marriages. And if your marriage ain't right, then you can't be trying to use God and say, well, I'm going to go serve the Lord when you know that, 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 that it's a problem because you perhaps have put that before your marriage. It is not God's will that we do that. 
It is not God's will. I mean, no. The marriage is a serious thing. Talking about priority. Think about this. I heard them say this, that probably the first two or three years, you know, of a marriage is probably, you know, potentially be some of the best years in a marriage. Um, And you know why oftentimes that is? Because the marriage is priority, right? Because when you don't have any kids, you don't have nothing, you just kind of get up, you roll, do what you want to do. But boy, when the kids come, here's what happens. You know, they start being demanding. You have to take them, you know, parents, you become professional soccer, I mean, chauffeurs. I remember one day, me and my wife was thinking, because we was like, I had to rush from work, and we had to take our kids to four different things. Everybody got to go this again. You got to go to that soccer game. got to go to this. And I got to, I said, what, what, wait a minute. And I realized, you know, that me and my wife was kind of <clears throat> at each other. You know why? Because we were just all over the place, and we had no time for us. And so what happened is the children come, then we, and then you think that, okay, when they get a little bit older, it's going to get better. No, it don't. They become more expensive <laughs> and more of a problem. It don't, it just, it's like a never-ending thing. And, it, and before you know it, that, that, that all the energy, the husband, so here's what he does. He retreats because he just puts all his energy in work. You know, because you got all the kids, you got all the fun. And the wife, she putting her energy in the home and the kids. And if she worked and that too. And by the time you get done with that, guess what happened? You know, I'm ready to go to sleep. Honey, can we talk? I ain't trying to talk. I got a busy day tomorrow. What has happened? See, the law of priority has been violated. Their marriage wasn't first. So here's what you got to do. Every Friday, me and my wife, we take time. We go out on Fridays. We just say, we're going. And sometimes we leave the house. My daughter back there tell you, we can hear the kids screaming as we're backing out of the driveway. Ah, they're just going at it. Turn the TV on. Oh, no, no. And I said, baby, uh, the peg, uh, sit, sit. We're out of here. Phone ringing two or three times. Don't answer it. Leave a message. If it's an emergency, somebody hurt, they'll leave a message. They'll let us know. We ain't answering the phone. Drive me nuts. Why? Because we got to make sure that our marriage is first. So some of you who got young kids, let me tell you something. You better make sure to keep your marriage a priority because your kids will suck it out of you if you let it. It's not the kids' fault. Kids are kids. But you got to make sure that the law of priority is not violated in your marriage. If you want to have a great marriage, your marriage comes first. Find a babysitter. Find, pay some, do whatever you got to do because it's your marriage. And you do what you, the, listen, the stuff about, well, I can't find it. You better find somebody can watch your baby or your babies so that you and your spouse can spend some quality time together because, you know, and what happened is, and sometimes, I mean, a lot of times after years go by and they go through all that, you know, you hope that when the kids leave that, you know, you ever hear people say when the kids leave, the, the spouse account look at each other like, who are you? They don't even really know how to act anymore. Cause they, we, you know, we just been going at it for so many years. It's like, hi, my name is Gary. You pack Hill. Good to see. Wow. It's been like 20 years because you just been so just the law of priority. You can't you got to make sure that that's not violated. The second law is the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit. The Bible says that, uh, watch this, in verse 24, it's that same verse in Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined. Now, I like the King James Version. The King James Version says, cleave to his wife. I love the word cleave because how many know, first of all, marriage is hard work. That's why I had a couple of people ask me to marry them and I said, if you want me to marry you, you're going to have to go through 12 weeks of counseling. They didn't want to do that. I ain't trying to do all that. I know right off the bat, you can't give it 12 weeks. If you are that, <laughs> that jacked up or however, whatever phraseology you want, you can't give it to them. Something's wrong. Because let me tell you something. It's hard work. But I got a dog. My little dog name is Princess. She's a Lhasa Apso. And uh, we first got the dog. And my wife did not want a dog. She my wife experienced what dogs would be that when she got off the school bus, there was a German shepherd that chased her home every day, every day. So my wife grew to hate dogs. So when she saw dogs, 
my wife will be like, oh, she run from them, what had anything to do with it. And so I decided, so my first two kids, my, my two oldest ones, when they would actually come in front of a dog, then they started acting just like their mother. They see a dog, ooh, and I said, like, no, this got to change. We can't, we got to get it. We can't, we can't have this. Now, so we go through all that, and so we finally settle on a dog. I couldn't get a brute dog. I wanted a Rockweller. I couldn't get one because, you know, it's hard for a brother like me to walk down the street with the little dog because I get laughed at. But, you know, I, then they try to put bows on the dog's head. I, I'm like, take the bows off the dog. If I'm going to walk the dog, take the bows off. But that's beside the point. But I noticed a phenomenon that when my wife was in the house, that the princess would just follow my wife everywhere she went. And, I'm, and I used to sit back and say, I mean, if Peggy would be like sitting, I mean, the princess could be in a dead sleep. And she Peggy moving. I mean, just follow. And, and I'd be like, look at this. I said, hit the dumb dog. I'm the one who got the dog in. You, got, you don't even know, dog, that, that she didn't even want you. And, and that dog, and every now and then, now listen to this, every now and then, the dog will fall and get into one of them deep sleeps. You know dogs snore? My dog got to the point now, the older she gets, she just, I'm like, what in the world? And every now and then she wakes up, and she don't see Peggy. And you can see the look on her face. It's the look of, where's Peggy? And she goes running through the house. And she'll go down the stairs in the basement. She's checking every room. She'll come back up the stairs. She may she go to the living room. she go to the dining room. She's running all around. And I'm like, what's wrong with Prince? What's wrong with Prince? And she can see she's breathing. And she's looking. She's looking. She's looking. And, and, and all she is trying to do is, where's Peggy? And once she sees Peggy, you know, she just go park right beside her and sit. And I'm like, and you know what happens? When that, when that word cleave, that means that literally you're, you're to follow, you're to seek after, you are to pursue. That dog pursues my wife. What if we pursue our marriage the same way? See, marriage takes hard work, right? Now, now, men, we pursue them before we get them, don't we? I mean, we open the door. We give him flowers. We give him candy. Some of y'all are saying, well, he ain't never opened the door. Okay, then think of something else good he did. <laughs> he did something good. <laughs> but, you know, you, you pursued the relationship. You pursued it. And then it's like, it's almost like that once you get it, you got the spouse, then it's like you just, we just become late. Now, why would you do the same thing? You send out an email, too. You call him up too. You text. You I mean, you go after him too. And, and what ha- what happens is over a period of time, we stop pursuing each other. You know, princess for ten years pursued my wife like she just met her. And so, and, and it's and I, I sit back and I look at it. I'm like, wow. It's like it, it doesn't matter what happens. She keeps pursuing. And you know what God said in this word in Deuteronomy? He said a lot of times, he said, you ought to cling to the Lord your God. He's saying, you ought, to, you ought to pursue me. See, we are supposed to pursue our spouses, and that is to never stop. I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep coming after you because this is my marriage, and you are the one that God gave me. So when he says that a man should, should leave, should cleave, you are to pursue. You are to hold on. You are to do whatever you got to do to hold on to that marriage. And, and I'm not going to let you go. Come on. Somebody else say amen. I am, honey. You can be mad at me, but you ain't going nowhere. I am on you like crazy. You see, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. But, but, but we need to do this. And, you know, there's some misconceptions about marriage. You know what some of the misconceptions are? Watch this. Um, about love and romance. If you marry the right persons, their emotional part would be easy. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't feel like uh, <laughs> I don't love you anymore. That's what people say, right? People get divorced and wake up one day and say, you know, I just realized I really don't love you no more. But you know, emotional love is the most immature love and it's the weakest brand of love. You know why? Because your emotions are like this. <laughs> 
Real love is commitment. Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let me take it a step further. The Bible says that for the joy before him, he endured the cross. You know, Jesus did not really enjoy having to go through what he had to go through. You know, sometimes in your marriage, you're not going to always enjoy what you're going to have to be dealing with. But for the joy that was before him, you know what he did? He said, I'm going to endure this because I know that on the other side, something better, something greater will come out of this. And so, and so real love is a commitment. Real love says, you know what? I'm going to stay in here. I don't like this situation. I mean, I even like your attitude. There's some things, but you know what? I'm committed to this relationship. Real love is about commitment. And if you ever mix the two, you will always be confused. Because people think, I don't feel like, I mean, come on. Your feelings will always change people. But I found out more than not that when I stay committed, I stay committed, I stay committed, feeling will come along. They will follow. Sometimes they delay, but they do come when we stay committed to the task. Now, <laughs> you ever hear the, some people say this? They say, uh, I heard this the other day. Um, the grass is green on the other side. You know, the devil always tell you the grass is green on the other side. But if I had that, if I had that person, I mean, sometimes you look at some of these people in Hollywood. Some of these, I mean, gorgeous men and women, good looking. You know, boy, if anybody could get it together, those two, they, they got it all. Chemistry, good looks, and whoo, boy. And, and, and it's amazing that they just divorce like crazy. And they'll go in and out of it like crazy. Because, see, they, they violate these principles, number one. But we know what I say about people says that the grass is green on the other side. When, when you see or when you start thinking the grass is green on the other side, here's what you do. That's a sign to you that you need to start to water your own lawn. There ain't a time where you don't want to try to get over there and get that. No, if the grass is green on the other side, honey, get the water hose. We got some work to do. Because if it looks greener, you know what it is? You just can't see the poop in the lawn from where you're standing at. You just can't see the poop, but it's in there. Cause I, get, and I, have, and I have a real good lawn. My, I, I love to work in the yard. And, you know, people stand in my yard and they look at it. And I got this neighbor. He always come out. I haven't been keeping my yard in the past couple of years, so... So, you know, I got to get back to work. But I've always been big on having a nice green lawn. And, and you know, this neighbor, he'll come back, he'll sit here, look at my yard. Man, what did you do every year? He just sit there and just stare at it. And, I, and you know, but, but if you walk up in that thing, man, you just thought, you, you may find some dog poop in there. Because everybody got some poop in their yard. Some of us are professional hiders or what do you want to call it? Somebody give me a word for it. We just... Concealers. We know how to conceal our poop a little bit better than others. Some folks, they just let everybody know their poop. He just died me off the right. He crazy. I can't take it no more. You know, some people just they just know how to hide their poop. Praise the Lord. Everything. How's your marriage doing? We doing good. Hallelujah. See you get in the car. And sometimes, even before we come to church, biting each other. They see you at the door. You come to the front door. Face. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Because we don't want nobody to know that we're laughing on the inside, but we're crying on the inside. We're laughing on the outside, but we're crying on the inside. And so we put up this facade to let everybody think that everything is going well, but yet it's really not. I want a church where people are authentic that can come and say, here's my problem. Here's where I really am, because I know that the majority of the people that are sitting here, that all of us have problems. And we never want to send a message that it's all together because it's not. I'm a pastor. I love my wife dearly and we don't have it all together. So you can't tell me that you got it all together. So which one? What, what did I stop off at? We got two more laws and we're done. The law of pursuit. What was the first one? The law of priority, the law of pursuit. Now watch this. The law of possession. This is a big one. The law of possession. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. I, do you have the verse, Matthew chapter 19? Verse, I think I got that one last. Uh, for those of you who brought your Bible, 
Matthew chapter number 19. And I got to keep moving here. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And it reads, now it's the same verse that kind of talks about what it does in Genesis chapter number 2. But look at, look at, but I think in in the context that Jesus actually says it here in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, makes it a little bit more clearer. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Watch this. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, look, look at this. Look, look up at me for a second. All right. The two, when you say we have two, you have, I got my own dreams, I got my own vision, I got my own career, this is, this is my life. You two, right? You two. He says that the two now becomes one. And that's one in every area of your life. In other words, if I'm truly one, there are no secrets There is nothing that I hide from my spouse. I know people that hide money and got different accounts and got other things going on that they don't even share with the other spouse. There's nothing wrong with having separate accounts. But your spouse should know what you're doing. Because guess what? When you get married, everything I had is yours. Everything you got is mine because now we're one. We're one. And that's what disturbs me nowadays. There's another fad that's going around. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But people, you know, used to be kind of like the norm. If you got married, that you took your spouse's, your husband's last name. It's becoming increasingly more. People don't want to do that no more. You know why? Because I want to maintain my independence because just in case this doesn't work, I need to be able to walk. If you are ever going to go into a marriage with that kind of attitude, don't get married. Save it. Why get married if you know that, you know what, I'm just, I'm buying, if this don't work, because you just, you just lied to the preacher. You lied to all the people that came to your wedding. Is that for better or for worse? Richer or for poorer? Honey, I'm here. So the law of possession. Now watch this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, I won't have you read. She can post it up on the screen, I think, if you have that verse. Uh, do you have chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 4? There's a, okay, I didn't give you that one either. Now, 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 chapter 4 talks about, for an example, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse 4, talks about how that your body, the law of possession, doesn't even belong to you. Do you know your body belongs to your spouse because the two have become one? So I know, I know the lady sometimes will say, well, you know what? I'm mad, and I'm going to show you I'm mad, and here's what I'm going to do. You are wrong unless you're fasting, praying, or you're throwing up. Your, this law of possession goes deep because what it says that everything about you, we're one now. So that means you can't do anything outside of me. My dreams, my visions, everything now, I'm taking on a whole nother identity now. I'm merging. This is the greatest merger of your life. Because here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that all of that, whatever the, the two of us now, we're going to become one. So that's one in every way. In every way. See, marriage is a portrait of the believer's union with Christ. In Ephesians chapter number five, I can't read it because I don't have much time. I'm already over. Um, Ephesians chapter number five, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be the two be joined, and the two uh, shall become one flesh. But I wanted to read something else in that same verse. This is a great mystery. There you go. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. If you read Ephesians chapter five, Paul outlines how the husband and the wife are supposed to communicate to each other. And he closes it by saying, now this is a great mystery, but I'm really talking about Christ in the church. You remember I said that our marriage is supposed to be a microcosm of what the church is. Now, you remember Jesus said this. Jesus says, unless you forsake everything you got, unless you give up everything, 
You cannot be my disciple. You remember Jesus said that? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to give up everything. Now, why does he say that? Because if you don't give up everything, then, he, then, then you're still in control. You're still in control. And the same thing he's saying in a marital relationship, that once you do become one, then you got to be willing to give up everything for that marriage. Everything. It's the same, it's the same principle. I'm giving up everything for this marriage. I'm not holding back. I'm not keeping any secrets. I don't got anything going on, honey, that you don't know about. I don't go any place, honey, that you don't know. Where you been today, honey? Well, ain't none of your business. Excuse me? Because the two have become one. And one in every sense of the word. I think we got one more. Don't y'all look at my glasses because I know they're crooked. It says, now, the word one flesh indicates the design of marriage for total intimacy. Intimacy in every dimension of life. As a matter of fact, marriage is a total commitment and total sharing of the total person with another person uh, until death do you part. Wow. Now, one thing, and I'll just mention this one thing that's a big threat to this law of possession, and that's the spirit of dominance. Dominance. You know, dominance is bad whether it comes from a male or a female. Because you know what? Watch this. In a marital relationship, it's equal partnership. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. What about that script in the Bible that says a man is the head of the house and the wife got to submit to her husband? You know how people, I love, you know, it's amazing to me how we like to take stuff and just, just use it for our benefit. But you know what that really means, simply put, is the man is the initiator. That's all. He, he is the initiator. He is the leader. He initiates the well-being of the family. And look, listen, thinking of himself last. Now, what woman wouldn't follow that? I think of myself last. I initiate the financial stuff. I initiate the well-being. But my wife, we're equal partners. So when there's a dominant spirit in the marriage, you know, have you ever seen a marriage with one person dominating? Unhealthy. I've seen a marriage where I've seen a man who talks to his wife like she's just some saying, go here, sit there, do this, do that. It's unhealthy. And I've seen it the other way around, where a female who dominates her husband. It's the same spirit. It's wrong. It's ungodly. And listen to me, the Bible says we're joint heirs together with Christ, right? Nobody's supposed to be dominating nobody. Listen, when this thing works the way that it's supposed to work, there is willing submission and leadership because the man is laying down his life and the woman is submitting willingly because he's leading in love. Not dominating. Not dominating. Now watch, for those of you who are dominant, because you know, you know, you marry a match. So if you're a person that's dominant, more than likely you marry somebody that's a really, really nice person. They ain't going to ruffle the feathers so much they're laid back, they're pretty cool. If you want those subservient people, you marry somebody just the opposite. You marry somebody who's dominant. So you marry your match because you know how we are. If you're a dominant person, you want to be in control. So you marry somebody that you can kind of. Well, watch this. Listen to this. And this is this is a proven fact. Fact. Statistics show that children in a female dominant home are more likely to be emotionally unhealthy. Male dominated homes are not from, far from it. Most emotionally healthy children come out of a male-led home, not a male-dominated home. It's a total difference. And one of the things with the law of possession, it's hard to give up stuff when there's a dominant spirit in a relationship. It's just, it's just a barrier there. And so we have to be able to address that. There's some other things, but I won't go there. The last law, um, I know I went a little long this morning, but the last one is the law of purity. The law of purity. Um, do you remember when Adam and Eve, right? When they sinned, the first thing that they did, when sin came into the picture, what was the first thing they did when God started talking to them? They sewed fig leaves together and they covered their intimate parts. Why? Because those are the most sensitive and unique part of our being, the thing that really separate us. You see? It's the law of purity. And anytime sin come into our marriage, it threatens that law. 
And what happens is when when we when sin come into the picture, you know how Adam and Eve, they had such perfect union that that not just talking about from a sexual standpoint, but that they were naked and didn't even know it. They were like, who? in fact, when they sinned, God was like, God was like, who, who told you you were naked? Where is this coming from? They didn't even know it because there was such a purity. And when that purity got violated, what happened is they cover. And it's the same thing, men, women, uh, when we violate the integrity of our marriage, when sin comes in, whether it's our pride or whether it's some kind of act, guess what it does? It violates the purity in the marriage. And what we tend to do is we don't want to talk. We don't open up certain areas of our life. You know, there's a lot of people that are married. There are certain areas in their life they don't even talk about with their spouse. They cover Either because they feel like they've been threatened, they've been hurt, or whatever the case might be. And so instead of talking about it, you know, and, and that's one of the worst things. It needs to be a situation that anything is going on with your spouse, they can just open up you and tell you everything. All my struggles, all my hardships. And, and, and what happens is anytime sin comes into the picture, we tend to want to hide. And, 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 you know, and we don't want to talk about it. We, 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 we kind of we get over to ourselves. And that's why we can't play with sin. That's why we can't allow some of these things, images that come in, into the world come into our marriage because it attacks the purity in our marriage. And there are even people that view certain things and content as couples and they say it's OK. It is wrong because you're introducing something else into the marriage. It, you, you devalue the person that you with and you're going to cause I'm not just talking sexually here. I'm talking about in every way we just cover. We hide. We don't we don't talk about it. We shield. It's a law of purity. And we have to protect the purity of our marriage. So what are four laws? The four laws. Number one. The first one was priority. The first one was law of priority. Second one. Third one. And the fourth one. Now, if every one of you, every one of us, follow those four laws in our marriage, our marriage is going to succeed. It's when these laws, uh, how many people do you think really know about this? How many people you know they put other things before their marriage all the time? How many you know people that they hide stuff from their partners all the time and they're trying to figure out why my marriage ain't right? You got to go back to the book. You got to go back to the book. Every head is bowed, every eye is